Good morning. Just want to open in a word of prayer before we start. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for just the many ways that you provide for us. Things, Lord, that cause us and motivate us and lift us up to be thankful and grateful to you this morning. So we pray as we as we just enjoy your presence this morning, Lord, draw us out. Help us to, to come into your into your, your fellowship, into your presence, Lord. Help us to to leave this building better suited, Lord, for your service than when we first arrived. In the name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. Just a couple things that I'm immediately thankful for this morning. Um, I'm thankful for a worship team. Uh, a worship team has a way of, of just bringing you into an environment of God's presence, of lifting up your spirit, of just allowing you to, to feel that you are connecting with God. And music has a way of doing that. And a worship team work, works very diligently to make sure they present that in a way that's respectful to God and creates that atmosphere. So I'm certainly thankful for people who do worship and, and the work that they put into that. I'm thankful to be here this morning. As Steve mentioned earlier, Sharon and I have been gone since 2002. We left. We were here in Timmins for three years, with um, initially with, with Joey a little bit, but with Dylan and Ryan when they were part of the youth team. And uh, it's been a while since we've left and we've traveled and, and visited different places in that meantime. But God, in His, in his sovereignty and in His wisdom and in His um, sense of humor, <laughs> has brought us back to Timmins, in which we're extremely grateful to God for, that He's done that for us. And so we're, we're, we're very thankful and we appreciate being here this morning. The other thing I'm thankful for, I woke up this morning and the first couple of breaths, I just felt that raspiness and pain in my throat every time I breathed. And I thought, oh, you know, this is a good day to have a, a throat and a voice that you can't speak. So um, I got up and Sharon said, how you feel? I said, my throat is killing me. And um, she said, well, I've got some Zeke lozenges, which is always a helpful thing. But another thing is, she says, I'm going to pray for you, in which she did. And almost immediately, I felt a sense of relief in my throat. Now, my voice may sound terrible, but inside it sounds and feels pretty good. So thanks to God for that. I appreciate that. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Today, Thanksgiving says, we're happy about giving thanks. Today, I'd like to explore this idea of giving thanks, and specifically for what? What are we thankful for? What does it mean to be really thankful? When you think about thank, and then you put full in capital letters. I'm thankful. That may motivate you and me to want to give to want to give back, to want to exercise, and it is really a choice, a choice of being merciful and a choice of showing gratitude and that choice of giving back 
and feeling that God's already given us something. So what is thankfulness? We look at a definition of thankfulness, and thankfulness leads us to gratitude. We also find in there an attitude of showing gratitude when we think about thankfulness. So what's gratitude? I'm glad you asked that question. What is gratitude? Well, and if you're taking notes this morning, this might be a good one to, to make a note of. Not that it'll be on the quiz later, but this might be something to good to take down. Gratitude is this. It's a spontaneous response of joy to receiving something over and above what we think or deserve or paid for. I'll repeat that. Gratitude is a, sp- re- is a spontaneous response of joy to receiving something over and above what we think we deserve or paid for. With that definition and those thoughts, we're in a great place to start this morning. In an attitude of gratitude. Much like the atmosphere that we came to the Lord's Supper with this morning. An attitude to convene with God, to commune with God, to be thankful and to be grateful. And out of that attitude and out of that, that sense of coming before God, it leads us into this atmosphere of worship and this attitude of appreciation. So that's where I want to start this morning. Now we know with every good thing, there's a misuse. And we take the idea of gratitude and we, we discover that there's a distortion to gratitude. And the misuse of gratitude says something like this. Because you have done something good for me, I feel indebted to do something good for you. This impulse is not what gratitude was meant to be. Rather, God meant gratitude to be a a spontaneous expression of the pleasure of His gift. A spontaneous response to what He's given to us. He did not mean it in any way to be an impulse for us to feel that we have to return favors, but rather something within us Something spontaneous that results in joy flowing up within us and flowing out of us. Gifts received from God. The spontaneous expression of pleasure of His gifts. You might say, what gifts? What gifts have we received from God? That's also a good question. And just take for a moment, think just for a couple of moments, what gifts of God are you grateful for this morning that God's given to you? Just go in your mind, maybe close your eyes. I don't have any mood music that I can play to help you to sort of generate some thoughts, but just in your mind, just think for a moment, what gifts... Am I grateful for this morning that God's given to me? I'm going to go through a few that God's prompted me with 
gifts that, that causes me to be grateful to God. The first gift is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift. Faith is a gift. Grace is another gift. Whether grace came first or faith preceded grace, we could go back and forth on. But let's stay with faith for a while. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, in some way, it does almost sound too familiar. Too used. Too misused. Too cliché. And we've talked about this in Remembrance Service this morning somewhat already about the idea of being complacent. The idea of taking things for granted. Like many of God's gifts, we do that at times. Take things for granted. But what better way than on Thanksgiving Day to refresh ourselves, to have another look and be refreshed by God's gifts. I thought about this idea of complacency. And we sometimes think, oh, why are we not so respectful to remember these things? Why do we forget so quickly? Why does that happen? And maybe it's not us so much. Maybe it's a God-given thing that we have to come back regularly and remember. We have to reset. We have to acknowledge that we're not always remembering these things, that we do become complacent, we do become forgetful, which, which draws us back to God and causes us to come back to Him and say, yes, I have forgotten about some of these things that I should hold dearly. If we remembered them all the time, we may not be prompted to have to remember. And remembering things and refreshing ourselves is good. Back to faith. The personal origin of faith. And I'll talk personally about faith. I know that in my experience, I did not one day wake up and muster up in myself enough repenting thoughts to turn to God and humanly somehow develop faith. Quite on the contrary, I remember being somewhat arrogant. Not cocky inside, you know, all that sort of stuff, but, but arrogant enough and prideful enough that when it came to God prompting me the first time with the spirit of conviction and the sense of faith being real and being tangible in my heart, I in fact was running the other direction. I was thinking, this now upsets all of my previous thinking about myself. All of my previous misconceptions about, well, I'm good enough and I haven't killed anybody lately and it's... You tick the list and you say, here's the balance, Here, here's the bad stuff, and here's the good stuff, 
and you hope it kind of does this, and somehow God's going to take all this into consideration, and I'm going to be okay. Well, faith doesn't work like that. Certainly, faith was not of my own making. So, faith is a gift. It's a supernatural gift. That initial spark of faith is something that came supernaturally. And why do I say supernaturally? Because it's not something of yourself. It's not something that is, is, is humanly capable. You think about the verses about yourself like Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64, 6. My righteousness is, is what? You know? A filthy rag. So of those things, you don't find a capability of, of developing your own faith. But God is very capable of making something out of nothing. A probable scientific impossibility to make something out of nothing. To put this into perspective, prior to my knowledge of God, I was formless and void of faith. But God spoke into my being. It's kind of like Wally mentioned this morning from Genesis chapter 1. And it might be something like God saying, let there be faith in Bruce. And like creation, God saw that it was good. And out of nothing, faith emerged out of an environment of personal rejection, out of pride, and out of a sense that not wanting to be near and have God in your life. But out of that atmosphere, God injected a gift of faith, a spark. And out of that spark, like the mustard seed, it starts to grow. This little, little, little puny seed that is planted in the ground grows up to this tree that the birds build their nests in. And... You look at it someday and you say, what a mighty thing that is. Amazing. The gift of faith. We know that circumstances of life take us on many specific paths. Directions. Consider this morning where your life had been if God had not given you the gift of faith. Consider if God had not given you that spark in your life of faith. Where might you be? What trajectory might your life have taken? Surely, we probably would not be sitting in these seats this morning. We'd be in different places with very, very different outcomes and different futures. Quite likely, we'd be traveling blindly down a very wide road that would lead to what? What an impact faith has made and how significantly, deeply faith has shaped who I am and who you are. This very moment and also what faith will reveal who you are yet to become. Think this morning about where I am in life and where God's taken me. And we realize that God's going to take us in many different directions. Ten years from now, twenty years from now, you may look back and you say, I remember that day we talked about that. 
Look what God's done in my life since those days. All as a result of faith. But faith must have a focus. Faith in what? Faith in who? Faith directs us towards truth. Another gift of God. Truth. An opportunity, another opportunity for spontaneous pleasure in God's gift. The truth. In John chapter 18, verse 38, Pilate scoffed and he says, What is truth? You know, who needs truth? It's still a most relevant question today. Oxford states this, the definition of truth. Get ready? The quality of state of being true. He goes on to say this, that which is true according to fact and reality. True. Philosophy News states it quite differently. This is what they say about truth. Truth, like knowledge, is surprisingly difficult to define. We seem to rely on it almost every moment of the day and it's very close to us, yet it's difficult to define because as soon as you think you've pinned it down, some case or counterpoint immediately shows deficiencies. Ironically, every definition of truth that philosophy has developed falls prey to the question, is it true? Is it really true? The Bible addresses the importance of the question of Pilate's scoff because it's all too common in Pilate's day and it's all too common in our day today too. Throughout the ages, we repeat, what is truth? We even think today, who even tells the truth? Everyone's got their version about politics, but what's true? What can you trust? Who's actually telling you what's absolutely true? But Jesus makes this bold claim in John chapter 14, verse 6. And in just nine words... Jesus has a way of just leveling this whole issue about truth and bringing us into a certainty. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, nine words. But in those nine words, He brings us into a place where we understand where truth is, who truth is. The fact is, Jesus is truth. Period. And that's where we can stop. We can trust what Jesus said. He's reliable. He tells the truth. John chapter 17 and, and verse 17 says, Sanctify them in your truth. Your truth, your word is truth. Truth is also a gift. Yet it's a double-edged sword. Because at times, the absolute truth is difficult. Overwhelming. It's hard to receive the truth. There was a movie quite a few years ago in the 80s. Um, and I remember there was a, a courtroom scene. I think it was Tom Cruise was in the movie. And he was the young lawyer. And he was challenging in this criminal court that was a military court he had this general, 
on the stand. And the general was becoming frustrated by the fact that this young lawyer would just question him and he wouldn't let up. He was questioning him, questioning him. And in frustration, the general remarked and he says, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. And that's often true. The truth is difficult. Imagine walking around every day and having in your conscience someone reminding you of the truth. Bruce, you're, you're selfish. Bruce, you're, your attitude's poor. Bruce, you're... I think, I wouldn't want to go out of the house. I think I'd just stay in bed, you know, and think, how can I function in this kind of environment? But we think with Jesus, the truth. It's not only the cold, hard facts that gets presented, but Jesus also presents, presents the truth in true love. And so you get a combination of truth and love. And so when Jesus presents the truth, you know it's meant for you. You know it's meant for your good. You know it's meant that Jesus is there to build you up and not to criticize it. To lift you up and not to knock you down. To put you in a a place where you will be appreciated and, and not to push you back. Jesus has that aspect about Him that we can trust, that we know that His truth comes from love, which is actually quite amazing. What greater gift to have the immediate access to truth that comes from true love? The Word of God. The Word of God is another gift. Yet another gift that we can spontaneously sense God's joy from. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, The Word of God is alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even divine soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude. Amazing that the Word of God is alive. You think about this book, and you open it and you think, it's not just a book. It's not just something that has pages and text, but it's actually alive. But we sense sometimes things are alive, but they're not active. They don't do things. But the Bible says the, the Word is alive and active. And so when you pick it up, the Word of God engages us. It engages our spirit, it engages our heart. It asks us sometimes questions that are difficult. It lifts us up when we know we need to be lifted up. It challenges us when we know we need to be challenged. And sometimes we read the Word and we say, where did that come from? It's as though God was just looking over our shoulder and just directing our, our thoughts to this page. And we read this verse and we say, that's amazing. How did God know to point me to that particular verse? But it's alive and active. And it also judges the heart. And it judges the mind. And it judges the attitude. And it helps us to remain humble. What greater gift do we have than the Word of God that comes from an attitude of love? Miraculously, the Word of God is alive, speaking truth to the innermost parts of our being, judging even our thoughts. John chapter 16, verse 13 says, But when the Spirit of God comes, He will guide you in all truth. Amazing gift for our daily bread. 
we pick up the word, we have a daily bread that we know that God has prepared for us. Specifically for us, we need to stop at a time and ask ourselves, are we and am I really thankful to be able to hold God's Word? Whether you do it in this form or whether you do it on your phone or a tablet, am I really thankful that I have God's Word that's active and alive in my hand? Or is it something we say, oh, we'll pick the Bible up when we have, have a chance? It's something we have to ask ourselves, is, some, is this something we place value in or do we have to be reminded like most things? And maybe it's something that we need to sometimes go back and think about. We actually hold the Word of God in our hand that we can access any time of the day or night. The Word of God brings us good news. Like angels that proclaim the shepherds, I bring you great news, or good news of great joy that would be to all people. Another gift of God, the salvation of the gospel. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, An angel speaking to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Quite possibly, the most significant proclamation that's ever been stated to humanity. I bring you good news. Good news. What every person on the planet wants to hear. Good news. Too often we hear this. I have some good news for you, and I have some bad news. What do you want to hear first? What are you? A good news person first or a bad? Well, with me, bad news first. Is that you? I always choose bad first. That way you got something good to think about afterwards. You take the good first and it spoils the bad and, uh, you know. But suppose this. The story was presented in this way. There's no bad news. Hmm. Okay, tell me more. Okay? The good news will bring you great joy. The good news will bring you great joy. Wow. Is that too good to be true? There's that word true again. What's the catch? There's always an exclusion. There's always something in there that says somehow you won't qualify. There's always superfine print that's not meant for a man approaching 60 to read. So you just go, no, I won't read that. But in there, there is an exclusion. Something that said somehow you don't qualify. But suppose there's no catch. And the best part about it is it's for all people. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Really? It is true. It's reliable and it doesn't change. It's absolute, truthful, good news. What is that? First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 summarizes it this way. 
The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen. Of whom Paul says, I'm the worst. I'm the worst sinner. I don't know anybody worse than me. But Jesus used him in such a mighty way. Amazing, amazing grace. We thought we could not think about more things of God's gifts. And it reminds me of Christmas morning. And you have the children around. And you have the gifts under the tree. And the children are opening the gifts. And the children are anticipating, is there more gifts? And you think, yeah, there's more gifts. Is there anything there with my name on it? Never have I once experienced the children to say, oh, I have another gift for you. No, nah, I had enough, thank you. I'll just relax here. Count me out, give it to somebody else. No. There is no limit to how much children enjoy gifts. And that's the way God's designed us. To enjoy His gifts. To enjoy what He's given to us. We thought there could not be more. We have more gifts. I think Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8 says something about He lavished His grace upon us. The gift of righteousness given by God. Of course, not our righteousness. We think about our righteousness being like the Isaiah 64, verse 6 righteousness. But the righteousness of God. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. In a miraculous way, Jesus took our sinfulness in His body and exchanged that for His righteousness. I like the way that First Peter says it in verse 2.24. He says, He Himself bore sins in His body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. He exchanged sinfulness for our righteousness. And we received His righteousness, undeserved. And He took our sinfulness. Amazing. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the body, in this body, in the body of the church, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. Amazing that Jesus would put us in a position that we would come out of this sinfulness and bring us into a position where we know that our sins are forgiven, that He's exchanged sinfulness and He's put us on a platform of righteousness. Quite amazing. And so in our attitude of gratitude, we've considered only a few of God's gifts. Only a few. You may have thought of different ones when I asked you to think about God's gifts and you went into your little zone for a moment and you thought about those gifts. There could be completely different ones that you've thought about. The gifts that I've presented to you this morning form a very familiar list. I'll review the list with you and see 
if the gifts ring a familiar bell. Truth. Righteousness. Gospel. Faith. Salvation. And the Word of God. Well, we'll go for the clue. We'll phone a friend. And the friend might say, the truth is the belt of truth. Righteousness is the breastplate. Gospel of peace. Faith is a shield. Salvation is a helmet. And the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Familiar list? The armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6. We think about the gifts that God has given to us and we realize they're not just gifts that don't have purpose. It's like me giving a gift to my mother and buying her a brand new chainsaw. And I might say, what a beautiful saw that is. And she'd look at that and she'd say, well, thank you. But it's totally inappropriate. She'll never use it. I may borrow it from her, but she'll never use it. (laughs) But God gives us these gifts. These gifts. And you think of the armor of God. These gifts are purposeful. There's a reason for the belt of truth. There's a reason for the breastplate of righteousness. There's a reason for the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, it's meant for our protection and our security. And so when God gives us something, they're not misplaced. They have a purpose and they have a reason. And they're very specifically placed and given to us. So God's gifts not only are just lavishness, but it's also purposefulness that's meant for you and meant for me. We know that gifts of God sometimes seem more appropriate when things are going well. We think about the Romans 8.28 times and it says, and we know that in all things God works together for good for those who love Him. All things. The valleys, the storms, the things that we go through, in all things God's working for good for those who who love him. We think of the James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4. For count it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing the trials of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect work. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. How many people do that? I face a trial and the first thing I do is I count it joy. But it's these things here, it's these foundational thoughts that give us a sense that we can stand on something firm. The armor of our or armor of God is meant to do this. Put on the armor of God and stand firm. Be anchored. Have a foundation that's solid. Anchored to your faith. And so, as we close, I think about Mary 
in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, after the angel had proclaimed to her that she would be the mother of Jesus and the things that would come and how the world would be blessed as a result of that news, this was her thought. She said this, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And so, as we leave today, the gifts of God that we've considered, the gifts of God that you've thought about, that, that you've considered are important because you're grateful to God over, these are the things we want to leave with us as we go. And not only just take them, but treasure them in our heart. And later, ponder them as a great pleasure and a great gift of God. So let's leave today with those thoughts in our heart. I'll close in prayer, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and sing one more song, Amazing Grace, and we'll stand for that. But first I'll close. Father, we thank You for Your gifts. We thank You for the the pleasure of Your gifts, and we ask You that You would just fill us with Your Spirit, fill us with Your appreciation and thankfulness a sense of gratitude of what You've done for us in so many ways we consider. We do give You the glory, Lord Jesus. And may our worship, may our praise reflect more glory upon You. So we close in the name of Lord Jesus. Amen.